0: This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network.
1: Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California.
2: And this is Bob Ambrogi from always gloomy Massachusetts. I write the blog Law Sites, another blog Media Law, and also Legal Blog Watch for Law.com.
1: And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Today, Bob, we're going to be talking about steroid scandals, home run balls, suing for slander, and baseball as a hotbed of litigation and legal activity.
2: Uh, That's right, from Pete Rose's gambling scandal of yesteryear to uh, questioning the rights of Barry Bonds' record-breaking home run ball and the infamous steroid scandals, the practice uh, of, of baseball law, some of the legal issues surrounding baseball, has become a hot topic in the news.
1: Well, we're going to be talking about two experts about what's new in baseball law, the reputation of some major league baseball players and preferential treatment of those players.
2: So to uh, begin today's program, let me begin by uh, introducing our first guest. uh, Professor Paul Finkelman is one of the world's leading experts on baseball in the law. In 2001, Professor Finkelman was an expert witness in the lawsuit over who owned Barry Bond's 73rd home run ball. A professor at Albany Law School in Albany, New York, and a former fellow at Harvard Law School, Professor Finkelman teaches and lectures about baseball law around the country. He's also written and researched extensively all the legal aspects surrounding the sport, from contracts to steroid use. Uh, Recent papers he's published include Baseball and the Rule of Law, Who Owns the Home Run Ball? And he also had an op-ed in the New York Times uh, over the uh, ownership of the uh, World Series winning ball uh, when the Red Sox finally undid the Curse of the Bambino. Welcome to the show, Professor Finkelman.
3: Thank you. It's a delight to be here.
2: Well,
1: I'd also like to welcome our second guest, who is another one of the world's leading experts on baseball and the law, Professor Howard Wasserman from Florida International University School of Law. He is visiting this year at uh, St. Louis University School of Law and he's joined the College of Law faculty at Florida FIU in 2003. Professor Washman teaches civil procedure, evidence, federal courts, civil rights, and First Amendment. His scholarship focuses on freedom of speech and the procedure in public law civil litigation. His recent work has examined the conflation and distinctions between judicial jurisdiction and substantive rights in federal litigation. He's also writing on the intersection between sports and free expression. He's presented on the on that subject, at the Cooperstown Symposium on Baseball and American Culture at the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Professor Wasserman is also a contributor to the Sports Law blog and is a loyal Chicago Cubs fan. Welcome to the show, Professor Wasserman.
4: Thank you very much for having me.
2: Well, uh, we didn't. We forgot to ask Professor Finkelman his uh, his fanship affiliation, and we can get to that. But it's a lot to talk about today. But I, I wanted uh, to start by asking each of you, and let's start with Paul Finkelman. Uh, how did you get into the field of baseball law in the first place?
3: Uh, purely by accident, I was uh, teaching at Brooklyn Law School, and I had a colleague, uh, Spencer Waller, who suffers from the same disease as uh, Professor Wasserman, being a uh, lifelong agonized cub fan, and we talked about um, doing a little collection of articles on baseball and law because there are so many law review articles published on it, and it just struck us as as somewhat bizarre, really, that that law professors are constantly writing about baseball, and so we started collecting uh, articles, and this ultimately led to a book called Baseball and uh, the American Legal Mind. And uh, from that, I started writing articles on baseball and law. And I find, of course, that the parallels between baseball and law are huge and fascinating. Uh, To give you one simple example, uh, baseball is the only sport where a judge has to rule on every single event that takes place. Nothing is a ball or a strike. Nothing is out or safe. No run is scored until the judge has made his ruling, and that differs from almost any other sport. Uh, To contrast, say, with basketball, where a game could be played entirely with the referees doing nothing more than throwing up the ball at the beginning of each half, and if there are no fouls, the referees would watch the game, whereas the umpire is deeply part of the game and the umpire functions as a judge uh, with rules of jurisprudence, you know, high fastball, high strike zone, low strike zone. Um, would think of umpires talking about whether something is a ball or a strike. You know, one says, I, I call them as I see them. The other says, I call them as they are. The third says, they ain't nothing until I call them. Here we have theories of jurisprudence that anybody who studied the Supreme Court would understand. So,
2: so should base coaches be replaced by lawyers or?
3: Uh, well, I think it's fascinating that some of the most successful baseball p- people, uh, Tony Russo, La Russa, for example, and uh, Branch Rickey were are lawyers. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think uh, a legal mind is is a good training for what happens in baseball. I also think that in some ways, uh, judges. Uh, uh, who hear regular civil suits, ought to go to umpire school.
1: Professor Wasserman, how is it that you got hooked into baseball and baseball law?
4: Uh, also, accidentally, um, sort of two different routes. The first was for my interest in, in in the First Amendment, and one of the things that I wanted to explore was initially the rights of fans uh, to speak at Uh, At sports arenas, particularly publicly funded uh, Major League Baseball parks, and what ought to be the First Amendment and free speech rules for fans who want to display signs, do the wave, uh, heckle players, and generally be as as rude and obnoxious as as they would like to be, and, and what are the rules from that. And that sort of has broadly taken me into looking at a lot of different issues of free expression in sports, athletes speaking out, the issues of television broadcasting and radio broadcasting um, in addition to what the fans uh, uh, in what in addition to what the fans are able to do in the stands and i also uh, I share professor finkelman's uh, interest in sort of the jurisprudential Civil and criminal procedure uh, parallels that you can find in in baseball. I'm, 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 I teach civil procedure, I, and I'm a proceduralist, and I think you can tell a lot about how rules are made and how rules are applied by looking at uh, by looking at baseball.
2: And let's not forget that the Boston Red Sox uh, general manager is a uh, former—or president uh, is a former trial lawyer as well, Larry Lachino.
1: Well, if you'll pardon the pun, I want to inject into this the issue of steroids and uh, get a ground frame from both of you on what the basic rules are in baseball about steroids and what your thoughts are about whether they should be uh, banned, you know— banned, and if you use steroids, should your record be banned from the record books? I mean, let's give Barry Bonds a, a little bit of a run through here.
3: Um, okay, let me, let me start by suggesting that uh, the problem with steroids is that professional baseball has ignored it. Uh, professional baseball, fully knew that players were using steroids. Uh, I was looking at Barry Bonds' statistics the other day. You know, he grew a full inch after he turned uh, 34. I don't know any grown men who grow an inch in their mid-30s. His hat size went up twice. Um, this doesn't happen through working out in the gym. And uh, as uh, as Jim Bunning, the senator, uh, pointed out when, when they were... Um, talking to players about steroids, he said, when you get to be your age, you don't get better, you start declining. So baseball, I think, has chosen to uh, turn a very blind eye to the issue of steroids because steroids is very good for the business of baseball. it has been something that that the major leagues have simply not wanted to confront because they like all these home runs going into the stands. That packs in the fans. That brings in the money. Uh, the players' union has been utterly atrocious on this issue because a union should be concerned about the health and safety of its workers. It's not. It's concerned about the individual claims of some workers over others and actually forces baseball players to choose between getting a raise and uh, successfully competing, and risking their health, uh, the fans have been equally complicitous. They go out and cheer Barry Bonds or boo him, but they love watching him. So I, I think I think one of the questions before we get to whether you know there ought to be an asterisk next to Barry Bonds's record is, does anybody really care about steroids? Um, is baseball simply a form of entertainment, and getting uh, steroids is no different than getting your hair dyed or getting a facelift or using science in some other way to extend your career as if you were an actor
4: yeah i think that's that's one of the that 's one of the interesting questions that that uh, there there's certainly a health risk in steroids, but there's an interesting question i think of of why shouldn't why shouldn't they be allowed why isn't this just another version of science that allows players to to prolong their careers and do things better why is steroid use different than Uh, the advances in arthroscopic surgery that allow pitchers who 30 years ago, their careers would have been over to come back and pitch to the the equivalent of Tommy John surgery Um, because it's, it's simply, it's scientific advances. Now, again, there's a, there's a health risk, but that's sort of the balance that we're, that we're going to try to, that we're going to try to strike. And I don't think there's been a lot of, of this, Discussion about that, I think everybody said steroids are bad, but Major League Baseball, as, P- as Professor Finkelman said, ignored them for years, and and now it's sort of where do we go from here?
2: But what should what should Major League's response, Major League Baseball's response be? I mean, it, we there, there's certainly circumstantial evidence that suggests that certain players may or may not be using steroids, but the, the direct evidence is often lacking, and is, is that is it up to MLB? Be to be pursuing that or to be enforcing that more strictly?
3: Well, well that depends on, on what MLB thinks that its role is. As far as I can tell, the commissioner of baseball, when we have one, uh, thinks that his role is to enhance the market value of the teams that the uh, that the owners own. And if the market value was enhanced by simply ignoring the fact that everybody in the world uh, knew that, that players were, were doping in one way or the other because, you know, you don't grow a bigger hat size naturally and similar things, um, then, then the question is, is, is why should we care? I mean, I care because I think it is a health risk. I think that there is something substantively different about going for surgery and taking a um, steroid, for one thing, steroids are illegal, whereas going for surgery is not. And, and maybe as, as people who are involved in the law, we should actually take seriously what's legal and what's illegal. Um, but you know, I mean major League Baseball maybe ought to you know start enforcing drug testing in a serious way. Um, it hasn't so far, and maybe it can't. I mean, that's the other problem is, is, is uh, I think we have to talk to people who really understand the science of doping to know the extent to which we can even know if people are doping or prove it. We may know it, but we can't prove it.
4: And I think and and there's also the question of what baseball can do retroactively to what happened in the past and what it can do moving forward. There was such a hands off attitude from you know the late nineties to about two thousand four or two thousand and five that it, it it becomes hard to argue when baseball was say, was play, was keeping its hands off that therefore everything that was done in that five- to ten-year period should be stricken from the record books. I, I think there's, there's, a, there's a post hoc aspect to it that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Moving forward, if baseball can figure out a regime of testing, I think you move forward, you move forward doing that. Um, all indications from testing, at least over the past couple of years, seems to be that Barry Bonds is clean. Now, what he did in that hands-off period, I think, is another, is another question.
3: You notice of course that his home run production is way way down now that he's
4: gone Right right we and we have, by the way, and in a sense, we have direct evidence that he used that he used steroids because we have the testimony of, or the, there was testimony to the grand jury from people who had firsthand knowledge that Bonds was that Bonds was using steroids. Now, what baseball? Now, baseball has that information because it was leaked and it formed the basis of the game of, of the book game of Shadows. Um, but there is there is direct. Evidence evidence, and now it's just a question of what Major League Baseball wants to do with it.
3: I think the one thing that that we will see is is I I seriously doubt whether Barry Bonds will easily get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Mark McGuire should have been elected in the first round. Uh, Any other player in the history of the sport with his record uh, would have been a shoe in as a first-round Hall of Famer. Uh, clearly, Mark McGuire is being punished for his use of steroids, for his refusal to come clean about it, for his refusal to discuss it. Um, you know, part of this goes to to uh, to American culture, which likes its um, its fallen heroes to ask for forgiveness. Uh, and that's, that goes beyond, uh, beyond baseball, but I think it is an aspect of our culture. And when Mark McGuire won't talk about it, when Pete Rose won't say, gee, I was a gambler, I'm sorry, but he, he sort of says, I'm kind of going to apologize, but I'm not really because I'm not really sorry. Um, American, uh, American culture rejects that and doesn't want, want those players to be honored.
1: What's Commissioner Seelig's role in all of this? I mean, he's—is he enforcing uh, rules and regulations? I mean, Professor Frankel mentioned in the beginning that nothing becomes a home run unless an umpire makes a judgment call and says that it is. But isn't the commissioner the ultimate judge
3: of what of what is of what is a home run?
1: Yeah, well, not what is a home run, but you know, whether he's using steroids, whether they're going to prosecute it, whether they're going to investigate it, or they're just going to ignore it.
3: Well, Major League Baseball, uh, although Selig uh, might th- and some of the owners might think they have that much power, they cannot prosecute people. Um, they, I mean, the owners sometimes act as though you know they run the entire world. They don't. The only one who could prosecute would be a prosecutor. Uh, what they could do is boot some people out of baseball, but for them to boot anybody out of baseball of Barry Bonds' status is to undermine... The revenue stream and the credibility of the game, and I just don't see that 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 Bud Seelig is, is going to do this. Uh, you know, he's troubled by it, obviously. He, he didn't know whether he even wanted to watch Bonds hit the home run. He's uh, said things about, uh, you know, what a great moment this is, sort of. Um, but that seems to be as far as they're really willing to go. And, of course, the commissioners don't determine who gets into the Hall of Fame. That's the sports writers.
4: The one interesting thing about about the Hall of Fame question is is it, it depends on on if the commissioner want, uh, on if the commissioner wants to step in. If if Seelig suspended bonds, then the Hall of Fame question is off the table because someone who is on the ineligible list cannot be voted into the Hall of Fame. That's what's that's partly what's going on with uh, with Pete Rose. He simply is is not eligible. If, in the absence of action, of some action in that regard by Selig, the Hall of Fame question gets left up to the individual voters, and I'm not sure I agree that voters are going to be as reluctant to. Uh, to to elect Bonds as they are to elect McGuire. And partly it's because Bonds has simply consistently denied that he's ever used steroids in the absence of of anything specific contradicting that. I think the voters at some level will take that on its word. McGuire's problem is what he did in in his testimony, which was – essentially functioned as an admission and i think that's what the voters had in mind when only i think he got 17% of 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 the vote uh uh in the last election
3: could i get one word in on that which is that the people who vote on the Hall of Fame are the sports writers. Uh, Barry Bonds, of course, has made himself about as unpleasant as possible to every sports writer in America. And uh, while I don't think they would use that against him in, in, in the Hall of Fame, I think there are enough of them who don't like him for that reason, for good reasons, for the, his whole attitude in life. That that they will simply say we think he used steroids, and remember they don't have to explain their vote. Right. Nobody asks them how they voted. Right. It's a secret ballot.
2: Yeah. I, I wanted to ask. Uh, Sotheby's announced today that it's going to be uh, later this month uh, conducting an online auction to sell uh, to try and auction off the the home run tying and uh, home run surpassing uh, records uh, surpassing uh, balls uh, uh, that Barry Bonds hit. Uh, the uh, Matt Murphy the the 21 uh, year old who, who caught the uh, the record breaking ball uh, hopes to get maybe a half a million dollars out of this is, is there is there are there any legal questions about about who owns this this ball these or any of these balls
3: well i've I, at one point i had written the only law review article ever published on why a fan owns a home run ball uh, it's in it's in cardozo law review or you can uh, access the site through the albany law school website but my argument is is that the the teams have made it quite clear uh all of them since the nineteen forties that if a fan catches a ball, the fan is entitled to keep the ball. Many of them have them on on this on their website they have it on the tickets that people purchase. It's a contractual right at this point uh so once it becomes possessed by the person who who caught it. I think it's his ball. I don't think there's any question. You know, it's certainly not Barry Bonds' ball. He, you know, he did everything possible to make the ball go away from him. <laughs> uh, his only connection to the ball was to commit assault and battery on it with a big <laughs> stick, and it's not his ball.
1: Why do you think that's so much different from football, where the fans will throw the extra point?
3: Uh, because because the football teams don't have on their website that fans can keep balls hit kicked into the stands. One reason is is the culture of the game. Um There's no reason. No, no one ever tries to put a ball into the stands. A a football, you know, isn't. You don't try to get it into the stands. Whereas a baseball player is trying to get a ball into the stands. So it may be that the very nature of the game is such. Uh, The other reason uh, is, of course, that for a baseball team, the ball hit into the stands, whether a foul ball or a home run, has almost no value. They cannot put it back in play. It's scratched. It's bruised. Uh, the physics of the ball has been permanently altered by that kind of hitting it. So that unlike a football, which can be put back into play, or a basketball, which can be put back into play, you can't put the baseball back into play. So starting in the 1920s, teams basically started to say fans could keep the ball. Uh, the last team to deny fans the right to keep the ball was the Cleveland Indians, and when Bill Veck bought the Indians, he wrote in his autobiography uh, explaining how bad fan relations were with the Indians. He said, to say that they made fans return balls headed into the stands is to say everything Thing, or to say it all, I think he said. And then he changed the rule. And so Cleveland became the last team to allow fans to keep the ball.
1: There have been some fans that have tossed home run balls back onto the field.
3: They can do
4: that. That's a tr- that's a that's a that's a tradition at Wrigley at Wrigley Field that any any home run hit by the other team should not should not be kept and has to be thrown back. And the fans will egg on any fan who catches a home run ball by the other team to do just that, and will boo that fan mercilessly if if the fan refuses. It's it's,
3: it's, it's the good sportsmanship of the Cubs. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It's time for us to take a a short break. When we return, we'll uh, get get further thoughts from our guests on baseball and the law.
0: We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our practice center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email.
3: If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781 634 8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show.
0: Did you know that Legal Talk Network podcasts are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams blog at mayhavepleasethecourt.com, Likewise, Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com.
1: Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams.
2: And this is Bob Ambrogi. Back with us is uh, two of the world's leading experts on baseball and the law, Professor Paul Finkelman of Albany Law School in Albany, New York, and Professor Howard Wasserman from Florida International University School of Law. Who's also a contributor to uh, sports law blog are we going to be let's see if we can follow
1: up the discussion we had before our break and uh, are we going to be looking at steroids as part of baseball forever or is there a way to get it out of the game
3: <laughs> I'm not a scientist uh and and i and I think that that if there's a uh, if if players, conf- let's assume that we have an ironclad rule, no, no steroids in baseball, first offense you're suspended for a month, second offense you're suspended for uh, a full year, third, third offense you're kicked out of baseball. Something, something really tough. Um, there will be a few players who will take those risks, at least on a of first offense. Because they think it's, it's worth it, they may you know dope all winter and hope that their systems are clear by the time spring training begins. Um, if the science is good enough to, to detect it, then you will get less doping. Uh, but there are, you know there are always people who will cheat. Uh, but right now you see baseball. Doesn't take steroids seriously enough for anybody to be to think that they really have to have to worry about it too much. It's just beginning to take it seriously, and I suspect there are many ways to get around being caught still.
4: And even the sports that do purport to take it seriously, you still see, like football, uh, you yet or or track and field, you still see the athletes uh, using and, and believing that they can beat the system.
2: Is this likely to lead to litigation? I mean, are are, are athletes likely to to go to court uh, over their reputations or or uh, over allegations regarding their reputations?
4: I, I mean, if if you're referring to to bonds suing. Um, you know, his his lawyers recently have, have been making noise. Um, I don't see him following through on that because uh, the standard for Barry Bonds is, is unquestionably a public figure, and the standard for a public figure to prevail in a defamation claim is so high, he has to prove that the Speaker either knew that what he was saying was false or was reckless as to whether it was true or false, that standard is so high and so demanding. I don't think Bonds could win if he sued the authors of Game of Shadows, if he decides to shoot, sue Bob Costas and Kurt Schilling. Um, I, don't think, I don't think he can prevail, and I'd be very surprised if he actually brought the suit.
3: And I suspect that the people who he sued would say, bring it on. I mean can you imagine how many more copies of the book would be sold if if Bond sued and and the from the from the strategic point of view if Bond sues then Bond presumably, bonds presumably in a civil suit has to get on in in, in court under oath and and, be and Bond's
4: also would be would be required in that case to prove that the statements made were false. In other words, he would have to prove that statement, the statements Barry Bonds took steroids are false. In other words, he would have to prove that he did not take any performance-enhancing drugs. And if we go back to what we talked about earlier, um, if it ever becomes really clear that he did, if you ever get that sort of direct, clear admission from Bonds or almost admission from Bonds that he took steroids, that's going to be the hook that I think Hall of F- either Major League Baseball and or the Hall of Fame voters would use to get him out. And... So if he brought this this lawsuit, he's opening the door to 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 act, action by baseball and or the Hall.
3: I I think he's also, but but in some ways he's already admitted that he has said he took things which he thought were vitamins. Right. Uh, and, you know, and suddenly like it's it's, knowingly he, used steroids. That's, that's right. It. He didn't knowingly use steroids. He took things he thought were vitamins. And then his hat size grew. <laughs> uh, just, you know, out of the blue, you know, I took vitamins and they increase, in, it's, it's like the internet ads you get to increase other parts of your body, you know, size. Uh, he had no idea that his hat size was going to grow from taking, uh, these vitamins.
1: Well, beyond steroids, baseball has gotten a bit of a black eye with a number of uh, high-profile baseball players like Pete Rose and Daryl Strawberry, and there have been uh, players punching fans and players punching each other, and it's almost gotten to the point where base brawl has become somewhat of an endemic.
3: Well, maybe they're trying to be as popular as hockey. And it's a different (laughs)
1: game. You know, that that old joke about uh, I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. It may change over to baseball.
3: Well, you know, it, it, we should have some historical perspective on this, which is that baseball has always been kind of like this. I mean, Ty Cobb charged into the stands and beat somebody who was in a wheelchair because the guy was heckling him. Uh baseball players are not exactly paragons of of virtue. If you if I think back to the when I was growing up, the the hero of of every Buddy, I knew was a drunken womanizer named Mickey Mantle, and and for my dad's generation, it was a drunken womanizer named Babe Ruth. Um, These are not, um, you know, these guys are are jocks. These these guys are. Are, 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 are unbelievably talented people who get paid probably more money than, than makes any sense to do something that's very difficult to do and they do it very well. It goes to their heads. They become egotistical. Uh, what's surprising to me is not the, the kind of louts that you get, but the vast number of Baseball players who, in fact, are sportsmen, who are gentlemen, who are decent people, who respect the fans, who's a, who, after all, make it possible for them to, um, to to make as much money as they make, and and there are an awful lot of players like that. And instead, uh, you know, the media focuses on, um, you know, the the. The ones who are not like that, and we would expect nothing less of the media, but that doesn't mean that that's what baseball is really all
4: about. Yeah, I think we just, I I agree, I think we we see a lot, I'm not going to say blame the media, but I think because we're able to see so much of it on a 24 hour a day, 7 day a week basis, that it's Probably seems like it's a lot more pervasive than it is. That more players are getting in trouble than they used to. That that more that there are more on-field fights. There are more brawls on the field. And and I'm not sure. You know, you know it was 40 years ago that you had uh, one player uh, hit another player with a bat. I mean, that's that's pretty. That's a pretty pretty extreme uh, extreme example of on-field conduct. And I don't think anybody in 1965 was saying that that this sort of marks the death knell for Major League Baseball. And I don't think what's going on here marks the, marks the death knell of Major League Baseball. I think we're seeing what's, what we've always seen.
3: I suspect there are probably more f- professional football players who are under indictment for serious crimes than
4: there are baseball
3: players.
2: Is, is baseball law a, a viable career route for a, a, a young baseball fan uh, starting out in law school or starting a legal career?
3: Sure, but they but but they, what they want to do is become an agent,
4: <laughs> or or try to get a job representing the trying on, on the other side trying to get trying to get a job uh, representing the leagues. Um, it's a nice gig as an academic because you know now it's just I can sit here and I can do whatever I want and talk about law and baseball, and it brings together the two things that I love the most.
3: I mean, I haven't had the audacity to try to write off tickets, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but I suppose I plausibly could. Uh, unfortunately, I'm in Albany, so it's it's not easy to not easy to go to to to, to games.
2: Well, we're at that point in our program where we're uh, about out of time. But before we wrap up, we'd like to uh, give each of you an opportunity to offer final thoughts on the topic, and and also to. Uh, let our listeners know how they can uh find out more about you or get in touch with you either a, a website or or whatever else uh, you might care to point to so uh professor paul finkelman let's start with you and get your final thoughts on this topic
3: um let's see first on on contacting me uh they can contact Albany Law School in Albany, New York. Uh, it's the oldest freestanding law school in the United States, and uh, uh, it would be www.albanylaw.edu, uh, and that that would con- they could get me through the website. Uh, I think my final thoughts are that uh, baseball is a game which is, first of all, a game, and we need to keep that perspective. You know, it's not. Uh, it is entertainment, and we need to understand that it's entertainment. And we're entertained by all these things. Uh, but the other thing is I do think baseball can teach us things. It does teach people the rule of law. Uh, there's nothing more dramatic uh, in, in terms of teaching people about law than watching a young kid stand and take, take a th- cold strike and just walk back to the dugout knowing that the judge has ruled and that he's out. And I, and I think uh, that playing the game, Rather than watching it or debating it, that playing the game is is a very very useful thing for instilling uh, respect for uh, a legal culture, and that's that's why I'm fascinated by it. And my my advice would be that of Chico Escuela from uh, Saturday Night Live is keep your eye on the ball.
2: And and being in uh, Albany, you must be a Red Sox fan.
3: Uh, I root. Unlike the Cubs, my team has not had a losing season in ever. Uh, well, not ever. It hasn't had a losing season for a very, very long time. I root for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and they're doing fine. They never, they never
2: lose. And uh, Professor Wasserman, your final thoughts and uh, contact info. Uh,
4: I can be reached uh, at uh, the uh, FIU uh, College of Law website. It's law.fiu.edu. Uh, FIU is a uh, public. Uh, law school uh, 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 serving uh, Miami and South Florida. Uh, um, My uh, occasional musings and those of my co-bloggers can be found on uh, Sports Law Blog. It's sports-law.blogspot.com. Um, I uh, would second a lot of what Professor Finkelman said about what we can uh, what we can learn from baseball, and I guess I would also just sound a a very optimistic note. I think that baseball is uh, a sport that has lasted for uh, you know going on professional baseball for going on more than 130 140 years now, um, and it has gotten through a whole range of scandals and bad behavior, both on the field and off the field. And the game continues to survive because ultimately the management of the game and the players come to realize what they have to do to survive. And I think that will happen here.
1: Well, thank you very much for participating today, both of you. uh, We've really enjoyed the show and I'm sure that our listeners will as well. And for those people that uh, don't get enough dose of baseball during the regular season there's always fantasy baseball and rotisserie leagues
2: thanks to each of you Uh, it's been great having you on the program
0: thank Thank you you for having me
2: and Craig you and I will talk again next week we will, thank you Bob
0: thanks again for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Jake Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. we hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com